ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Vince Siciliano, the CEO of New Resource Bank in San Francisco. Vince wants to change the way people think about banking and the way they use their money. And in this episode, we're going to explore that concept that banking should be for people, planet, and profit. Here's the interview with Vince. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining us, Vince. Uh, appreciate it. I, I, I want to jump right in, and I want to actually focus on New Resource Bank's mission. Uh, it is in big, bold letters, and your mission is to promote well-being for all people and the planet. And when you think about a bank's mission, typically, uh, that wouldn't be first and foremost for most banks as we know it today. I'd love for you to maybe elaborate a little bit uh, on your mission and how that came to be. Sure. Uh, and it's nice to be with you today. So thank you, Brian. The the fundamental belief, sort of the why behind all this, is that we believe that money and banking can be used to do good in our society, that it can help achieve well-being for people on the planet. So coming from that fundamental belief, we, as a bank, use money to help achieve that mission. And that, that really just means that we lend other people's money plus our own capital to businesses and nonprofits that are working to achieve well-being for people. And another way of putting that is that they're triple bottom line organizations. In other words, they're managing not only for a financial return, but also for a social and environmental return. They're, they're conscious of how they run their business from an inside perspective and how they treat employees. They're conscious how they impact the community around them, and they're conscious about their environmental footprint and statement about resource usage. So does that help you? It does. Absolutely. You know, you, you once said in, uh, in an editorial piece that I came across that money is a store of value and values. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that? Right. So the classic definition of money is that it's a store of value. In other words, you hold piece of you hold a currency in your hand and it, it represents a certain value that you can exchange. So it's both a store of value and it's a medium or a method to exchange goods and services. And my comment is that money is a store of your values so that you as an individual have certain values and you can decide how you spend your money. Do you go buy a cup of coffee from uh, just an ordinary coffee company that may be buying its coffee from a third world country uh, at very uh, disadvantageous exchange terms for the people who produce the coffee? Or do you buy fair trade coffee, which says that uh, those farmers are receiving something that's at, at the world market price rather than a substantial discount to it. And therefore you may pay a little bit more, but uh, you've recognized your value, uh, your personal value, that you wanted to treat people fairly in the economic system. So the way you spend your money represents your values, and you can use it as to change things. 
So the comment that I know you've made before, or the question, do you know where your money spends the night? Uh, that really is uh, a great example and a great question of how uh, individuals choose uh, to express their values through their money. That's, that's completely right, because unless you leave your money in your mattress, which nobody does, <laughs> uh, it doesn't, or at least they shouldn't, uh, it doesn't actually uh, sit in a vault. There, most banks don't even have vaults anymore. So it's not in a vault. It's actually somewhere doing something. And it is spending the night. It's not sleeping at night. It's spending the night doing something somewhere. And if you could get on you know, a dollar bill and fly around the world, would you be happy to see what your money is supporting and doing? And you can be conscious about that. So one of the things that's interesting uh, is the emphasis that New Resource Bank has on working almost exclusively with very values-driven organizations, and and that may be exclusively, uh, 100% exclusively. How do you really measure whether or not a client of New Resource Bank is truly a values-driven borrower? Yes, I would... I would say that we lend to companies that promote our mission and because there really are two kinds of companies. There are those that have a green product. So for example, they may be producing organic cheese or they may be installing solar panels and helping solar energy uh, grow and prosper in the marketplace. Those people have a green product and the other group is going to be a group of people that are values-based. And so they are running their businesses, regardless of product, from the perspective of people, prosperity, planet, of triple bottom line. So those groups don't completely overlap. You you know, that solar energy company may not really be a values-based business, but it is definitely a green business that's helping to promote the use of alternative energy. Sure. Uh, On the other hand, your your values-based business can be anything. It can be a manufacturer. It can be an energy company. There are all kinds of businesses. So not everybody is values-based, but everybody we lend to fits our mission, either because they're values-based or because they're good or service promotes well-being for the community in terms of environmental protection or community benefit. So to go back to your question, uh, we do have a, we've used a survey for years, uh, which uh, it's a short survey online and we've just converted to one that's actually put out by B-Lab. And it helps us understand what the thinking and resource usages of our clients. It, it shows us where they are, but we see it as a journey. We see it as a journey from just beginning and learning and thinking about these things. It's a journey of both competence and commitment. Competence being what do you know about sustainability and commitment being what leadership and resources are you putting behind it. And so we see that as a journey and people can be a, you know, a learner, an achiever, a leader or a champion. But, but I always say, we don't care if you're a learner or a leader, just that you're on that road. So our clients have, uh, you know, a low, uh, not a low, but a lower benchmark, uh, sort of a starting point. They have to be in the ballpark of sustainability in terms of what they're producing or their own values orientation. And then we hope that we help them grow and develop their business and their commitment to well-being as they go forward. 
This distinction between, you know, the green products or services that a company produces or manufactures and that of organizations that uh, their product or service may not be green in its approach to the external world, but are instead very values driven internally sounds a lot like uh, Raj Sisodia, the, one of the co-authors of Conscious Capitalism. And he talks about, in many of his uh, public speaking engagements, the twin engines of purpose. And an organization's purpose can be something that seeks to make a very meaningful difference in the world for its clients or customers, those that it serves, or like you had said, there's those organizations out there. Maybe what they manufacture is some sort of a widget, and its uh, difference in the world may be minimal uh, as a direct difference in the world. But those companies instead choose to focus on their internal culture and the people that they hire and, and an investment that they make in people so that if they do choose to leave the company, they will have left a better person. And that is just as much a very purpose-driven organization who's focused on its people as one that is focused on creating some sort of a very meaningful type product or service for the, the, the external world. Well, well, that's very well summarized, but I would, I would add a little twist to that, and it shows me that I wasn't as clear as I, as I should be, and that is that the companies that are not necessarily producing a green product, I did mean to imply that they could be producing any product as long as they're treating their employees well and as long as they're worrying about their impact in the community. Uh, no, their, their product still has to be, you know, a, a product that is not harmful to the environment and has some, some social good to it. I think what I was really trying to contrast is that just because a company has a green product doesn't make them very values-based or even a great employer necessarily. On the other hand, those that are values-based, we expect the fundamental product that they are putting out to, to be at least good for the community and as well as the way they treat their employees and the impact they're having on the community. Is that more clear? No, that's very clear. Very clear. And, and I certainly didn't mean to, uh, to confuse any of our audience uh, through my, uh, my summary of the, the twin engines of purpose. That's very clear. Appreciate the clarification. Um, super curious uh, for a moment. So you obviously have had a, a number of very senior leadership uh, roles in the banking community. And a uh, new resource uh, certainly seems to be somewhat of a different direction for you in your career, moving from some of the larger, perhaps more traditional uh, banking background to, uh, to this triple bottom line uh, focused type organization in the banking industry. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair uh, assessment? Well, yes and no. And uh, the, the no part is that actually back in college, uh, I majored undergraduate in something called human biology, which was really all about human systems, uh, both the social and physical and, and, uh, and biological aspects of human systems. And so that, that was an interest of mine because I was uh, committed to environmentalism. And I went on to graduate school and got a master's degree in environmental planning. So I actually have all that in my background. And then as one is as it happens to young people, I just jumped into a job at one point. I, I needed a job, and uh, uh, I went to work for Bank of America, and lo and behold, I spent 10 years with Bank of America, which was never part of the plan, nor was business part of the plan. So um, it's sort of the unpredictability of you study. One can study one thing and then go off in a different direction. 
But I left Bank of America, and, and, and after that, I was always working with uh, community banks, far smaller financial institutions. And, um, and in that process, as I learned more and more about becoming a leader, I became what I called a values-based leader uh, and, and used a different version of the triple bottom line, which really focused on if you make it a great place to work, i.e. you have gung-ho employees, it will be a great place to bank. In other words, you will have raving fan clients, and then it will be a great place to invest. Different, different version of the triple bottom line, but still fundamentally a more values-based company. And it wasn't until I was called one day, I had left my last bank, and I was pondering the future and tired of seeing banks that just that grow and are really built for sale. They're not built to last because it's the business of building and selling a bank. And they basically sell the bank to the very banks that they criticize as being non-relationship oriented. And then they go out and do it all over again. So I was tired of that model. And I received a call from a search firm about a new resource bank, which was a values-based mission-oriented bank. And I was surprised I didn't really know about those kinds of banks. And as it turns out, there are almost none. But that, that for me, was coming full circle. Uh, it picked up on the values-based uh, leadership that I was already trying to model, and it went full circle in terms of the environmental background that I had had years before. So your overall leadership philosophy, you would describe uh, – how would you describe it? Well, so – I guess a couple different perspectives. One is that I, I see leadership as an inside out job. In other words, it really starts with what's going on inside the leader. You know, where are they in terms of uh, their own personal growth and development? And in particular, you know, what, what, what can one say about the, you know, the heart, the head and the hands of a leader, which is a, a model that I've adapted from, from other places. And, so when you look at the heart of a leader, particularly the, the motivation and character of a leader, why are they doing what they are doing? And to what degree is, is it really a, a personal motivation, one about getting ahead, one about uh, uh, really promoting the self as opposed to one that is more invested in the community? And I realize that there's, there's a constant tug of war between you know, what I need and what, what you need. So it's not like I'm a saint, but I think I think there is a there is this inner journey about ego, and uh, and then the head of a leader is really what are the thinking and beliefs about leadership, and then the hands are really how do you carry that out, and so it's a journey to to learn it's an inside out journey because if you're not wholesome and or wholehearted uh, on the inside then. You, you're going to default on the outside to the world's values of leadership, which really are about accomplishment and the approval of others. It's all about, you know, what you own, what you do, and what other people think of you. How successful are you in terms of accomplishment and getting the rewards of accomplishment, including the approval of others? So that's the first part, inside out journey. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Is there, uh, it sounds like there's a second part. Well, the second part then really has to, it does have to do with the, you know, the thinking and beliefs. So, you know, I, I, I believe one has to be extremely clear about the why. Uh, I like uh, Simon Sinek's book and TED talk on, 
you know, the why, what, what do you feel so, what do you believe so strongly in that causes you to do what you do? Right. Uh, and that's usually hard for people to answer the question about the why. They default very quickly to how they do something and what they do. You but th- in the case do, of... Do you think that's because we don't, uh, with the way our society is, is we're so focused on the what and the how, and it's just, you know, features and benefits as opposed to really understanding at a deeper level, you know, that real essence or the non-financial reason why we all go to work? I think you're absolutely right. It, 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 it becomes tied to our sense of significance or personal self-worth. It's, it's what I do and how I do it. And whereas the why, which is really the purpose, you know, driven business or the more conscious leader, um, you really get into the belief that I mentioned about New Resource Bank. We believe that money and banking can be used to do good. So, you know, then that either turns people off or excites them. Uh, and then you can get into, well, how do you do that exactly? And what is it that you do? And uh, so I think being really clear about the why you're doing something, the mission statement co- comes right out of that. What's the picture of success? If you've been doing this for 10 years, what's your vision for the future? And can you really articulate that? Uh, and then can you pretty succinctly come up with a strategy that, that you can share with the people that you're going to work with? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You look at a lot of the a lot of publicly traded organizations and I think all of the leaders at those organizations would say that there is a why behind what they do and a and a guiding north star. However, uh, I think one might also make the argument that given the quarterly expectations uh of the of of the markets, um, that oftentimes short-term decisions are made to satisfy shareholders that might not necessarily be congruent with the North Star or the why or the purpose of the organization. And, and these short-term decisions can sometimes override what would otherwise be an incredibly noble purpose or, or why behind the company's existence. And, and my question for you is, will this ever change if we continue to allow the shareholders and the markets to dictate the way businesses are being run, at least those that are publicly traded? Well, it's a great question. And I, I agree with you that some other companies have a more noble purpose. I actually think that when one starts talking this way, one runs squarely into those who are uh, readers of the Wall Street Journal, for example, which claims very clearly that uh, it's about shareholder value as defined by maximizing return on investment and any other goal, any other social purpose or environmental purpose is an inefficient and ineffective use of capital, quote unquote. So, sure. Sounds like um, this is, Friedman. This is, yeah, this is not adopted by a lot of people. And, uh, and so they really don't have a noble why behind what they do, uh, but some do. And I think that, uh, frankly, I thought a lot about this and I don't think you know, the social sector giving a lot of speeches is really going to help. I think what's going to help, I mean, it's a good thing to do to educate and to cast vision about what it might be. But I, what I really see are, are the, is the millennial generation coming up, and that is wrestling with this issue of purpose and why and trying to integrate it into their lives from the get-go rather than maybe having to spend 10 or 20 years in jail doing something else in order to earn the freedom to be the person that they felt they they've always wanted to be. So I have high hopes for the millennials, for the aspirational people, those that are buying things that are beginning now. I think we're the, the, the data varies, but it looks like maybe we're well into the 30 plus percent of people that are now buying with 
with uh, purpose and, and and values in mind. And uh, the same goes true for the new generation that has sort of purpose in their hearts and doesn't want to squelch it. That's a I guess a 30% number or 28% number as well. That's what's going to drag us forward into a different setting. So, you know, you talk about the millennial generation uh, and you, and you look at uh, specifically the way companies are being led today. And there is this war for talent that we've been hearing about for decades and the best of the best are always, uh, it's always a challenge to get the best people. Uh, with the millennials soon to be a majority of the working population, why do you think leadership has had such a hard time embracing these concepts that we're talking about? Why it's important to have a North Star and to have that be the absolute uh, you know, guiding light of what the company does when tough decisions need to be made. They will always choose in favor of their purpose or their North Star. Why, why is leadership struggling so much with this notion? It just runs afoul of raw capitalism. So in the day when de Tocqueville wrote his book, 1830s Democracy in America, you know, he described this tripod of capitalism, religion, and democracy. And at that point, uh, I, I would say today, democracy is certainly in Washington seems to be captured by special interests. Religion has really moved out of the public square. It's much more diverse and not, not such a presence in the public square. So we really are in an era of raw capitalism, which says maximize financial returns, uh, and then you can do whatever you want with the money. So that really is the system. And when you look at the financial crisis we went through over the last 10 years, you know, the banks are still, what is it? At least once a week, we're reading about another 150 million fine there, half a billion fine there. It doesn't seem to matter. They are still marching to the drummer of maximized financial return. And therefore, they're looking for people that are going to march the drummer of maximizing financial return. And there are plenty of people that are marching to that drummer. And and furthermore, the, the, the temptations are enormous. If you're sitting at a desk and you know that if you can pull this trade off, you've got a million dollar bonus. And if you can't pull the trade off, nothing really happens to you. Most people are going to try for that million dollar bonus. Yeah, I just, uh, and I agree with you that as the millennials continue to dominate more of the workforce, that they're they seem to be predisposed to an organization like New Resource Bank that has a very clear purpose and uses that uh, as its as its guiding light for the organization. So, yeah, that uh, hopefully the old way continues to uh, erode year by year as uh, as the future unfolds. Well, I hope so. And you know, Aaron Hurst in his book, uh, The Purpose Economy, says it's twenty eight percent of folks that are really purpose oriented. And I don't know whether the millennial generation has a higher uh, fraction than 28%, but I hope so. Yeah, so do I. So do I. I want to switch gears just for a moment if we can. And um, there was a concept, mm -hmm. concept you talked about. I think it was in a previous interview you did. It talked about the, or you spoke about the difference between fast money and slow money. And I was hoping you could share <laughs> a little bit more about what, what you meant by that. Well, probably the best, let me give an illustration and Great. then I'll come back to the definition. Great. Uh, so if, if I were to ask you, if I offered you a thousand dollars today or $5 million in a hundred years, 
you know, which would you choose? A thousand dollars today or five million in a hundred years? Well, uh, being that I doubt I'm going to be around in a hundred years, I'm going to have to go with a thousand dollars today. Okay, so you and most people choose a thousand dollars today, and yet if I said to you, what's the value of the lives of your grandchildren in a hundred years? What would you say? Uh, well, in excess of the thousand dollars that you might give me today, right? Priceless, priceless. Absolutely. So, so right, th right there, we have this conundrum that. $5 million in 100 years really is not worth much today. It's only worth $1,000. So the value of the future generations isn't worth much today. There is no present value. There's no seat at the table for the future generations. And that's slow money versus fast money. Fast money is, is very much into building high, high rates of growth, high rates of profitability, uh, high internal rate of return, high return on investment, uh, short-term orientation, and whereas slow money is taking a look over generations and saying, what do we do that makes sense over generations? And the, the problem with that trade-off of $5 million versus $1,000 is that we have a discount rate in there, you know, a rate of interest that you want to earn. And unless that rate of interest is high enough, uh, you'd rather take the present value today. And if you're not going to be around in 100 years, then no matter how high it is, it probably doesn't really matter. So we're not used to thinking, you know, long term. We're not used to looking and making decisions 100 years out. We, we are into a very current uh, high growth, high return perspective. And that's that's fast money versus slow money. Does that that help you? That helps tremendously. Helps tremendously. So, so that concept then, how does it impact your leadership and and that of your leadership team at New Resource Bank as you are thinking about the future uh, of, of your organization? We try to think longer term. We're not worried about quarter to quarter. We're not even. I mean, we have budgets and goals, and we want to have normal rates of return or better but we're really looking several years at a time and we have no exit strategy. We're not building the bank for sale so that everybody can walk away from it and have it dissolve into some big bank. We, we, we are looking at uh, a bank that we hope survives into the next generation and has an impact which goes beyond just the financial impact. All of that's hard to value. So, if we can speak just for a moment about your team, and I know over the past few mm -hmm. years you've had some some really high-profile folks join the team. I believe uh, recently over the past handful of years, a CFO, a director of marketing and culture, uh, and if I have the titles uh, wrong, I apologize, but I know you've added some- No, that's right. Okay, great. Some key leadership folks. Um, obviously, recruiting for leaders who fit who you are and what you stand for as a bank is probably not the easiest thing in the world, or maybe it is. Can you just share a little bit about uh, how you recruit and how you're able to identify the right leaders who fit your mission and your purpose and your values as an organization? I would say that, uh, that attracting and hiring people that fit our organizational mission and values has been the hardest thing that we do or if not the hardest, one of the most difficult things we do. When we can find people that are values-based but may not be financially oriented or bankers, and we can find bankers that have a lot of skills but are not values-based. And So marrying those two, having a sense of, of 
both of those in the same person has been a challenge. And more recently, what we've done is I've borrowed a concept that I'm sure everybody's heard about, you know, right people in the right seats, which comes from Jim Collins. Sure. Uh, there's, there's, there's another book by, uh, by Gina Wickman called Traction. And he, sure. he takes that phrase and he uses it. And then we've adopted what, what we've adapted even that so that when we talk about right people in the right seats, right people is very simply described as, do, does their personal sense of mission or purpose and values highly align with ours? And if, if that makes them a right person, nothing to do with their skills yet, just sense of mission and values. And if that doesn't align, then, uh, then don't go any further. And then the right seat is really a focus on the job that they're going to have. And we are now working to understand what are the four or five critical roles of that job, the roles that they absolutely have to be good in in order to be successful as a CFO or as a head of HR or as a lender or any kind of position we have in the company. Every, every position of the company, we're looking at these critical roles. And so finding someone who can do both, right person and right seat, is at least we're now clear on what we want. And that has, that has helped us going forward. But there's a lot of networking involved. I mean, once in a while, we'll use a search firm. You know, there are a lot of a lot of different ways, but a lot of social media one can use the best the best way if 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 we can is to get referrals from people that know people. Sure, absolutely. Is, is that was that a hard transition or a mindset shift for anybody within the organization to not get perhaps overly excited about the strength of, let's say, uh, you know, a resume and one's experience who might be just a little bit off on the, the purpose and values alignment? Or has that just been embraced wholeheartedly by everybody? It was a hard transition because, first of all, it was hard to find people that had both. Sure. Uh, and so we, at one point in our time, you know, we had defaulted more towards people that had the mission sense, but that didn't work. Uh, so then when we were having a hard time, we defaulted towards people that had the skills, the financial skills. But frankly, they won't stay. They won't stay over the long run because this is just a stop along their career. And, you know, when someone says, oh, you have a great niche. Well, that's a tip off that, no, this is not a niche. This is about a whole philosophical approach to life. And, uh, or I recycle, you know, again, is not a great response. That's nice that you recycle, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're really thinking about the issues behind the need to recycle. So it, it took us a while to finally understand that if we want to keep the people and, and have folks that are really committed to the mission and our co-laborers, you know, co, co-leaders, if you will, co-thinkers about the mission, then we need to find folks that are both um, mission-oriented and have the, skill, have the uh, financial skills we need. So as you think about other leaders, whether they're in the banking industry or in other industries who are beginning to uh, pursue this journey, this journey of becoming more conscious, this journey of uh, thinking a bit more holistically. Uh, what advice would you give them for those that, you know, in their hearts, maybe they feel that, yeah, this is the right way to go. The future is heading this way. Uh, but in their head, it keeps getting in the way that, oh, well, it's just a, it's a maximized shareholder or investor value and it's a zero sum game. What, what, what advice would you give these leaders or encouraging words to go all in and, and, and follow this journey? Well, it's, it's not a simple transition. It, it, it is, uh, it is a challenge for people. And, 
I think probably the first step is is to go answer the question about why. You know, why are you in this business? Really, what's what's the reason behind the business? And it's not oh well to make money or to maximizing shareholder return. That's that falls out uh, as one writer once said. That's the applause from. Uh, uh, Ken Blanchard said, that's the applause from doing a job well is, mm -hmm. is the profitability. But mm -hmm. um, so really get down to the why. And if you can connect with your own why, then that's going to give you the, the deeper and more uh, internal energy that's going to enable you then to relook at your business and just and start small, you know, start with uh, let's let's look inside the company first. Let's look at our the way we handle employees. Let's look at, a, you know, create a green team and look at how we how we purchase, how we use resources. Let's look at our supply channel. Uh, you know, what if we, Walmart's a great example. They looked at their supply channels all over the world and had a huge impact. Um, you can start with all those things first before you sort of take on the capitalistic model and say, you know, you're, you're too short-term oriented uh, and you start telling your shareholders that you've changed your values. I mean, that's going to come maybe down the road, but start with some of those smaller things first, but only after you've really looked in, inside yourself and found your own motivation. And so if, uh, if, if a leader were to ask him or herself that question and they realize that their own internal motivation uh, is out of alignment with maybe where they're spending their days in the company that they're leading, you think it's wise for them to then pursue a different path or what would you say? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, it depends. It depends upon how much influence they have over the current situation they're in. If, if, because ultimately, if, if they really have come to that realization, now there's a, this disparity and that, that disparity is going to grind and burn and be a problem. Yeah. So y you have a couple of choices. You can either start redirecting your department the way your department runs and, uh, or the way the company runs, the kinds of decisions the company makes in terms of long-term, short-term, you know, what's a healthy product, what isn't, uh, if you can get some of that redirection going, then, you know, then you might stay. But if you, if you can't over time, you may start thinking about, you know, pushing off in a different direction. You know, there's this, uh, the idea that the, the second half of life or the, whatever it is, the second, the next career can be one that's more, uh, significant as opposed to just successful in narrow monetary terms. Well, that's excellent. I think that's probably a great place to finish, Vince. I, I want to thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us and sharing a uh, part of your journey with our audience. I know that they are going to take a lot from it. Uh, once again, President and CEO Vince Siciliano from New Resource Bank and New Resource Bank's mission is to promote well-being for all people and the planet. Vince, thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time today, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All right. You have yourself a great week. Thank you very much. I look forward to connecting with you again. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast by visiting our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I have two additional things for you. Number one, I'm hoping to get some bonus questions answered by Vince from our community. So if you have any questions you'd like him to answer, please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com with your question and I'll forward it on to Vince. Second thing, 
If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple of others I think you'll really like. Kat Taylor, the co-founder and co-CEO of Beneficial State Bank, talks about keeping the spirit of affection in business for good in one episode. And Clayton Christopher, the founder of brands like Deep Eddie Vodka and Sweet Leaf Tea, talks about his entrepreneurship lessons in another. Again, that URL is yscouts.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.